Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we're, we're three weeks deep right now into a series through the book of Philippians. Uh, sort of our normal sort of uh, rhythm uh, here at, at King's Cross is we, we go through books of the Bible, uh, 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 typically verse by verse and chapter by chapter, uh, so that, that we're fully exposed to the whole counsel of, of Scripture. Uh, we believe that that's the best way to study the scriptures. That's the best way to preach the scriptures. And so right now we're in the middle of a series through the book of Philippians. Just started a few weeks ago. And we're calling this series For Our Joy. For Our Joy. Because joy is the predominant theme in this book. Now how many of us, if we were locked in sort of like a prison dungeon would be thinking about how we could encourage others to find joy in Jesus. Like how many of us, that would be like our first priority. But that's exactly what Paul, the author of this letter, does. Here he is, 10 years after he planted this church in Philippi, uh, and he's in prison, he's in chains, he's writing a letter to them, this church that he deeply loves. He's, he was with them in the beginning, and, and he's writing with them to, or to them to encourage them in, in their joy, which is just nuts, like considering his circumstances, right? But his joy... Paul's joy is a deep joy that transcends his circumstances. And he wants this church, the Philippian church, and he also wants us today to endure in that same kind of joy. And in the portion of of his letter that we're sort of biting into this morning, uh, we're going to see a short prayer that Paul writes out for them, a short prayer. And wants to notice a few things in this prayer. Like, 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 like first, that, that, that when Paul prays for churches, when he prays for other believers, when he prays for churches, the prayers that he prays are a whole different variety from the ty- types of prayers that we tend to pray, right? Like he doesn't pray the typical fix-it prayer. Like, God, fix this thing. Lord, would you turn this thing around? Which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that prayer. Nothing wrong with that prayer. We should pray for those things because uh, God works through our prayers for those things. But more than that, with Paul as our example, and really Jesus is our example before him, more than that, we should see that what Paul prioritizes when he prays for the churches that he loves is he prays primarily for their growth. I'm not talking numerical growth. I'm, I'm, I'm talking their spiritual growth. That they would be mature in their faith. More than changing their outward circumstances, Paul's concerned about their, their inward spiritual condition. And this morning we're going to walk through three verses about Paul's prayer for their spiritual growth. And the big idea is that there is joy to be found in spiritual growth. There is joy to be found in spiritual growth. And so here's here's what we're walking through this morning. First, we're going to look at how Paul prays for their growth in love. 
primarily had the way that he defines spiritual growth is that their their lives are marked more and more by love. Secondly, the purpose of their growth. And lastly, we're going to look quickly at the outpouring of their growth. So let's look at that first one. Paul prays for their growth in love. Read verse 9 with me. Paul says, It is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. So what is it that Paul's praying for them to grow in? What is it? Love. He prays that they would grow in love. And he already knows that this church is a loving church. And we kind of talked about that these last couple weeks, right? Like this is the one church, uh, the one church community that, that put their own reputation on the line by supporting him and loving on him while he was in chains for preaching the gospel. Every other church had abandoned him. Every other church had said, yeah, we were willing to follow, follow you so far, but not this far, except for this church. He prayed earlier, he, or he, he told them earlier, he says, when I pray to God, I thank him for your partnership in the gospel. So he knows this is a loving church, but here he prays that they would grow in their love. He prays that God would expand their capacity to love others in the same way that Jesus has loved them. I was talking to a guy in our church the other day who was, he's, he's got a new kid. And he was talking about just how crazy it is. How crazy it is when you, when just, he's like, just when you think that your capacity to love is full. He's like, I love my wife so much. Just when I thought, like, my capacity to love was full. Then you have this kid, and you find this whole, whole greater, this new capacity to love. And how many of you parents can resonate with that? Right? Like, I for sure can resonate with that. I just, just when I thought I had no more room to love because of how much I love my wife, Alyssa, a child comes into our family, and it's just crazy how my capacity to love just, just increased. I mean, honestly, when your kid gets to sort of like the terrible twos phase, and oddly enough, your capacity to love sort of decreases, right? That's a whole other sermon. But just kidding, I love my kids. But, but Paul knows. Paul knows like what that's like. He knows what that's like. That's why he's praying for this church. He's, Paul knows that experiencing the love of Jesus has that kind of effect on us as Christians. That the longer you walk with Jesus, the more loving you become. The more you grow in your understanding with how much he loves you, the more your life just overflows in love for God and for others. Look, some of us here this morning, you might, you might be saying, like, yeah, like, I, 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 I get that. I guess I see that. But I'm just for me, I'm just not a people person, right? I'm not a people person. But look, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, then you are, by definition, a people person, right? Like, you belong to the one who made you and also made your, your neighbors, your fellow humans that are also made in the image of God. And he calls you to love your neighbors as yourself and to even love your enemies. He's the one, God's the one who adopts you into his forever family, right? We, we talked about this, where we're partnered together in the gospel. And so to be clear, I'm not saying that, that Jesus makes everyone an extrovert, right? What I'm saying is that everyone, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, is called by God to love others the way that they've been loved by Jesus, And so for the Christian, 
The scriptures tell us that the primary expression of love that Paul has in mind is the kind of love that we have within the church family, within our spiritual family. I mean, in 1 John 5.1, we're told that everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. Anyone else who's been born again, saved, redeemed, restored, called into that family. I was talking to a friend of mine recently who he doesn't he doesn't really like go to church anymore, and he he tried to uh, he didn't really go to this church, but he he does, just doesn't go to church anymore at all. And he tried to reassure me. He's like, you know, Chris, like he's like my relationship with Jesus is great. It's great. I, I just can't stand Christians. He said. That's like, I mean, if you came up to me and told me that you and I have this great relationship, but you can't stand my family, then guess what? You're no longer allowed to say that we have a great relationship. That's not how it works, right? Like, if you want to love me, you got to get with my friends. <laughs> Paraphrased in 90s theologians known as the Spice Girls, right? That was the Spice Girls, right? Like how I pretend I didn't know know that. Um, if you want to have a meaningful relationship with me, then you 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 you've got to be cool with my family. If you want a meaningful relationship with Jesus, you got to get with his friends, with his family. Now I get that some Christians can be rough around the edges, right? Hard to get along with. And if you're like scratching your head, trying, you're like you're like I don't know if I can really think of anyone like that. I mean, it might be you. But God calls us to love one another. He calls us to love one another. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you need to find a church that's humbly following Jesus together. Join that family. Learn to love that family. That's what we're called to. Paul prays that this church gets that. He wants them to grow in that. It's a prayer that he repeats again and again and again in his letter to the churches. I want you to see one other in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Paul's writing another letter to another church in Thessalonica, and in, 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 in part of that letter, he prays and he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in what? What does it say? In love. In love for one another and for all as we do for you. This is, this is a song that he keeps singing, a prayer that Paul keeps praying. Abound in love for one another. The reason it's so important to him is because he knows that if you're a follower of Jesus, this needs to be your mark, your life needs to be marked by this. Well, look at how Jesus himself puts it in John chapter 13. In John 13, Jesus said, I he, to his disciples, he's, he gathers them around and he tells his disciples, This is right around the time that he's about to, to die on the cross. He gathers his disciples and he says, Hey, look. There's a new commandment I'm going to give you. That's a big deal. When Jesus, the Lord, right before he dies, says a new commandment I give you, read it with me. He says that you, what? Love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And he says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So in other words, Jesus is saying, look, the way that people will know, the way that people will identify you as a follower of of me 
Jesus is saying, by the way that you love one another. That will be your mark. That is the new commandment I give you. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples, my followers, if you have a love for one another. And if you're going to grow in love for each other, in partnership with each other, then you need to ask the question, who is it that I'm doing life with? Who's my community? Where's my spiritual family that I can live this out? Who are you going to do life with? I'm not talking like, you know, who am I going to, who are you going to kick it with, right? Who's going to be your beer buddy, right? Like I'm talking like deep, let's get below the surface kind of community. Authentic Christian community. I'm saying, who are you going to do life with? Like if you're not doing life with others, then you don't have the proper context to actually bear the mark of what it means to be a follower of Jesus the way that he intended. Right? This, I mean, this is, this is why we have things like home groups here at, at King's Cross. Right? It's, it's we want to create a context and a space to do life with, with, with other believers. To give you a context to sort of grow in love. To pray for one another the way that Paul prays for the Philippians here. Now, the kind of love that Paul has in mind, to be clear, isn't, is, it's not like a blind, sort of gushy, sentimental love, all right? It's not a blind, sentimental love. It's a love that also grows, he says, in knowledge and in discernment, in knowledge and discernment. Read verse 9, uh, the, the whole of verse 9 with me. Paul says, he says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with what? Knowledge and all discernment. In other words, he's saying, your love needs to be based on truth. It needs to be based on a growing knowledge of who God is and what He's done for you in Jesus. Look at this example from Ephesians chapter 4. Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he, and he exhorts them. He says, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So in other words, if you, want, if, you, if, if you want to love people this way, you need a knowledge of how God in Christ has loved you. If you're in touch with what God has done for you in Jesus, his tender heart toward you, his forgiveness toward you, his kindness towards you, then that will inform the way that you love others in that very same way. And Paul also prays that they grow in love with both knowledge and discernment. Knowledge and discernment. You know why discernment is important when it comes to love? Because some of us, we apply love wrongly. We apply love wrongly. Like you, you need discernment to know when it is appropriate to be generous and supportive with your love and when it's appropriate to be a little hard with your love or to protect your own heart with your love. My four-year-old, Geneva, she, she said like the most heartbreaking thing to me the other week. Brought a tear to my eye. <laughs> she was the most heartbreaking thing the other way. She, she, she looked at me, she like grabbed my face, and she's like, Dad, I really love you, even though you're mean to me sometimes. 
I was like, not okay when she said that, right? Broke my heart. I love you even though you're mean to me sometimes. I'm like, sweetie, like, do, do, do you think daddy's, like, like why, why, did you, why did you say that? Why, why did you say that that way? And, she, and her response was, because sometimes you don't let me watch Peppa the Pig, right? Well, then suddenly, like, I'm okay with that, right? Because as much as I think it would be super cute for that English accent to rub off on her, like, I need her to know that there's more to life than Peppa the Pig. Real love does not mean I support all your decisions, right? If that's the kind of love that you're looking for, that's not Christian love. That's a type of worldly love, all right? Blind sentimental love is not real love. It's not discerning love that Paul's talking about here. Loving with discernment means that you don't enable somebody that you care about to continue in unrepentant sin. If you're making destructive lifestyle choices, then my love and support for you will look a little different. It might look like lovingly calling you out of that, right? With grace, with care, with affection, with commitment, with saying, hey, look, I'm going to walk with you in this. But it doesn't mean that I look the other way when you're making decisions that are hurtful to yourself hurtful to your spiritual walk, heartbreaking to the Lord, that wouldn't be loving. And so we need love to abound more and more with knowledge and with discernment. Now let's talk purpose. Why? Why does Paul want this? Why does Paul want them to abound in this kind of love, the purpose of their growth? Read verse 10 with me. Paul gives the purpose. He says, so that, So he's saying, I want you to abound in love with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. See, Paul here refuses to let the Christians here in Philippi that he loves, he refuses to let them settle for the status quo. That's why he's praying for them. He's praying that they they grow that they mature, that they abound in love so that they can approve what is excellent. Now that Greek word there for approve is dakimazo. Dakimazo, which means to put to the test, to examine. And so Paul's saying, look, I want you to abound in love with knowledge and discernment so that you can put to the test in your life what is excellent and be pure and blameless. It's like, it's like this, this picture of like when you're making a new dish, right? New little recipe you're trying out at home and you're putting in different spices to get just the right taste or just the right flavor that you want. The, the idea here is that when you're growing spiritually, when you're maturing in your faith, when you learn, then, then you, you suddenly learn how to take a look at your life up against God's word, and you learn how to take a stock of your life and determine what are the things that are encouraging you to loving Jesus and loving others more, and what are the things that are sort of getting in the way? What are the things in your life that are giving off the aroma of Christ and what are the things that sort of just kind of stink and cloud out that aroma? 
You see, Paul's goal for them, for this church, and for all churches, for King's Cross Church, Paul's goal for them is to grow in knowledge and love and discernment so that they can get a real sense of what spiritual growth actually looks like. What really counts towards your growth and to pursue those things. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the old Welsh preacher, he's got this great paragraph in, in, in his collection of sermons on Philippians. I want to read it to you. It's a, it's a bit of a chunk, but um, I think he puts it beautifully. He says, the whole art of life, I love that imagery, the whole art of life, I sometimes think is the art of knowing what to leave out, what to ignore, what to put on one side. How prone are we to dissipate our energies and to waste our time by, by forgetting what is vital and giving ourselves to, to, to second and third rate issues. Now says Paul, and, and Lloyd-Jones is talking about these verses. Now says Paul, here you are in the Christian life, and you are concerned about difficulties, about oppositions, and about the contradictions of life, but what you need is just this, the power to concentrate on what is vital, to leave out everything else, and to keep steadily to the one thing that matters. Love the way he put that. You know what matters the most? You know what matters the most? We see it in Paul's priorities and his prayers. Your growth in Christ-likeness. Your growth in Christ-likeness. That's if you're a follower of Jesus this morning. I mean, if, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I, and I know that this is a, 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 a church that is welcome, uh, we try really hard to be welcoming and hospitable to those that, that, that don't know yet know Jesus, and, and I love that about our church. I know some of you in this room are sort of in that boat. We're just glad that you're here, that you would spend time with us on a Sunday morning like this. But, but, and so growing in Christ's likeness doesn't necessarily like a, a apply apply to you. But if you do know Jesus, if you do claim Jesus as your Lord and Savior in any meaningful sense of those words, then you should be growing in Christ's likeness. Don't miss that. I mean, that's not a popular thing to say in churches. You need to be growing in your faith, right? That's not how you grow a megachurch with that verse, right? With that teaching. But this is Paul's priority. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. He wants to challenge this church in that. And don't miss that. I mean, what matters most in what you're giving your life to is your growth in Christ. Are you looking more like Jesus? Let that be your goal. Let that be your aim. Let that be your legacy. The goal of the Christian life is not to sit and listen to your favorite preacher. It's not to subscribe to the most inspirational Christian podcast. It's not even, if you're a theologue, to read your favorite theologians. It's not to have an emotional, spiritual experience. Your goal, like Paul doesn't talk about any of those things in his letters. Your goal as a follower of Jesus is to grow in the grace of Jesus. If you've been a Christian for 5, 10, 20 years and you haven't grown much spiritually, if you aren't growing in your knowledge of how great Jesus is and how needy you are of his grace, if you aren't growing in your knowledge of the scriptures, then what are you doing? 
What are you doing? Why call him your Lord? Is that, does that mean anything? On the other hand, when you let the Spirit of God do a number on your heart to humble you, to humble your pride, to lay you down, to expose you to your need of Christ and His grace, then you will grow. You will grow to look more like Jesus because you'll see that He's the truest and surest thing that you have. And when you run to Him, when you cling to Him, you begin to look more like Him. You begin to reflect His character and nature. You grow in your confidence as a son or a daughter of the living God. You grow in your understanding of your identity in Jesus. That's what Paul's praying for here. That's what he's praying for. That's what he's pleading for. That they may abound more and more in love with knowledge and discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Are you growing in grace? Is your love and knowledge and discernment growing such that you're pursuing knowledge of Christ with passion, with commitment? That you're, you're coming each Lord's Day not, not to be entertained, but to exalt the risen Jesus. Not to be a consumer of, of, of goods, but a participant who feasts on the Scripture. On the gospel? Are you valuing knowing Jesus and making him known above everything else? Are you doing what's best with your life, your time, your money, your relationships? I want you to read on with me in verse 10 and see the kind of character that Paul is talking about here. He, he says, read this again, he says that you may prove what is excellent and so be what? Pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Let's talk about these words quickly here. That word pure, and the, the, uh, that word pure in the first century, uh, it's this image of how when you would wash your clothes, right? Because in the, in the first century, you washed your clothes by hand, right? They didn't have sears back then. Right? So you, you wash your clothes by hand. And the way that you determine if, you're, if your clothing, if your garment was clean enough, the way that you determine if, the, if enough dirt had washed away is you would wring it out, the garment, to, to dry. You'd, you'd pull it tight, and you'd, you'd put it up against the sun, right? Like this was sort of the, 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 the way that they would do this. There's this, the steps of it. You'd pull it up against the sun to see if you got all the marks out. That, that word for what they're looking for is the word pure that Paul is, is using here. He's saying... I pray that you will be pure in the light of the sun. Pun intended, right? In the light of the sun, that when the sun reflects on it, when Jesus reflects off of your life by the grace of God, you'll see less dirt over time. That what people see when they look at your life lines up with what you claim to be. Let's talk about that word blameless. That word blameless, Paul says that, you know, he, that they would be pure and blameless. Now, to be clear, that word blameless does not mean that you are free of mistakes. It doesn't mean that your life is free of sin. That's not the sense of that, the, the, like that original Greek word blameless, right? The word here is this picture of when you're walking down a road. 
And the person in front is, is paving a path that doesn't cause the person behind them to stumble. All right? That's what that word blameless comes from. So you're walking down the road of life. The people around you that are, are following you in some sense, the people around you that look up to you, like maybe it's your neighbors, your coworkers. If you're a parent, it might be your kids or, or perhaps your grandkids. If, if you're a leader here of, of a serve team, it's those who serve under your care. Paul's saying the, the way that you're walking in life, the way that you live, the example that you give to others, is there anything... Is there anything that could cause someone else to stumble or to trip up? Are you, are you, are, 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 is, is the, the path that you're paving for them in your following Jesus, walking in his ways, if someone were to follow you, are you tripping them up in some way? Is there anything in your walk, in your stride, in the pattern of your life that you set that is not worth emulating. That you'd be embarrassed to talk about. And when love abounds, it doesn't just make you pure and blameless. It also, Paul says, it makes you also fruitful. It makes you fruitful. He, he prays in verse 11. Look at it with me. He prays that growing and abounding love also makes them filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness. The picture Paul's using here for fruit is, I mean, the picture is clear. It's, it's, like, it's like a harvest in a field. Paul's saying there should be visible, tangible evidence that Jesus is transforming your life. His fruit should always be in season when people look at your life, that you're growing in His grace. There should be evidence others can see and touch and encounter in your real face-to-face, day-to-day life that you're a follower of Jesus. Now this is important. Look, look at that verse. See, the fruit of the fruit comes to us through, through who? How does it come to us? When all else fails, the answer is always Jesus, right? This fruit comes to us through Jesus. This is something that God does in you, right? Like maybe up until now you're listening to this sermon and you're like, man, like I feel like a bad person, right? I feel like I need to try harder, right? The good news for you is in this verse. Be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, right? This is something God does in you. Your job is to plant yourself by the stream like Psalm 1 says, right? Plant yourself by the stream, like, right? Come to church on the Lord's Day, read the Bible, pray, be in community. Plant yourself by the stream, and God will do the work in you. Don't miss that beautiful truth. You can't muster up the fruit of righteousness on your own, right? You know how, like, uh, you guys have seen, like, how, how, how like, uh, uh, gardeners sometimes, they'll, they'll like, uh, to, to help fruit grow on a tree, they'll, they'll, they'll sort of duct tape fruit on there to kind of help it grow, give it a head start, right? 
No. <laughs> right? That's not how that works. You, you, don't, you don't put fruit from somewhere else on, on a tree. You don't muster up fruit on your own. It has to grow, right? It has to grow. You're not going to see an orange on an orange tree unless it has life flowing through that tree. You won't see grapes on the branches if you don't have life flowing through the vine. Listen to these words of Jesus in John 15 when he said, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things, most things, nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, the reason Paul prays for this, for the church in Philippi, the reason he's praying for them to grow in this way, to mature in this way, is because he wants to see God do the work of making fruit show up in their lives. The reason we pray is because we want to see the fruit of God's grace in our lives. Do you want to see evidence in your life that Jesus is at work in you? Do you want to see that? Do you, want, do you want others to pick up on that, to see that? Then pray like Paul prays. Pray like Paul prays for growth, for love to abound with knowledge and discernment so that we can approve what is excellent, be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. Pray like Paul. Now, quickly to close, to what end do we want all this? All this growth in love, knowledge, discernment, fruitfulness, what does all this lead to? What does all this lead to? It pours out. It overflows into a life of praise. Our third point, the outpouring of their growth. The outpouring of their growth. We see this in verse 11. But let, let, let's read, let's read the, the, the whole passage again since it's short. All right? I mean, all of this is leading to the outpouring of their growth, which is a life of praise. Start with me in verse 9. Paul says, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. To what? To the glory and the praise of God. You see, the reason that we pray for love, for knowledge, for discernment, for fruitfulness, the reason we pray for that is for what result? Is for what to pour out? The glory and praise of God. The glory and praise of God. Our lives should be lived and spilled out in the glory of praise of God, a lifestyle of worship. A life of worship is not the name of your favorite playlist on Spotify, all right? Worship is not what you do before and after the sermon. That's part of it. Worship is a lifestyle. A life of worship, most simply defined, is a life that basically just makes much of God. And all that you do, with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul, with all your strength and might, you make much of God. 
You get to be a new person with new power in your bones and a new joy in your heart so that your life pours out for the glory of God and the good of others. That's what it's about. That's why Paul prays for them to grow. It's not, it's not for his reputation. It's not for that church's reputation. It's not for uh, our King's Cross's reputation, have a good reputation among people, right? It's, it's not for Christianity's reputation. The reason Paul wants them to grow and abound in love, knowledge, discernment, and fruitfulness is so they would make much of God that their life would spill out in praise and glory to God. Paul prays that the Lord would work on their hearts to grow them for his glory. And look, that is the sum of the Christian life. That is the sum of the Christian life, that because of Jesus, we can grow in grace for the glory of God and the good of others. There is no higher purpose of life than to have your life bring glory to God. That's why Paul's letter is saturated with giving God the glory. I mean, he started this section, this introduction to his letter, after he greets them in verse 1 and 2. If you look at your Bible in verse 3, he started this section, his introduction, by thanking God, which is a way of giving God the glory for their partnership in the gospel. And here... He ends the section, he ends the introduction by praying now for their growth and giving God the glory in that too. Westminster uh, Shorter Catechism is this this, this old sort of question and answer tool that that churches have been using for centuries. We don't have tools like like this anymore, but man, these, these, these mechanisms have been used by the church to grow them in their knowledge of scripture and doctrine for, um, for, uh, for, for centuries. And the Westminster, uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, I, why can't I say that word, Westminster? The Westminster Shorter Catechism uh, is questions and answers of non- doc- like basic doctrinal Christian points. And the very first question addressed in the Shorter Catechism is answering the question, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? In other words, why on earth are we here? Why do we exist? And the answer in the catechism is to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. The catechism was put together by a number of church leaders in a bunch of different churches, uh, different denominations. They all poured over the scriptures together, studying it week after week after week. And, and when they put this catechism together, the first question they wanted to start off with was, what is the chief end of man? Why do we exist? And by looking at the whole council of scripture, they say to enjoy God and glorify him forever. What is the chief purpose of your life? What is the chief, the singular purpose of King's Cross Church? It's to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. You see, the purpose of my life, the purpose of your life, is to bring glory to God, glory and praise to God, to enjoy Him and glorify Him. You see, the Christian life isn't a prudish life, right? 
It's not a prudish life of making sure that you do the right things and you don't do the wrong things. It's a life that chases after joy. Enjoy Him forever. We chase after joy. And we see that when we chase after joy that our deepest joy and the deepest pleasure which can be found is in none other than the one who made us in His image and saves us from ourselves. And when we, we find ourselves in Him, our identity in Him, then our lives begin to get abound in love, knowledge and discernment. We begin to bear fruit. And so in, in all that we want, all that we are, in our love and our knowledge, our discernment and the fruit of our lives to bring Him glory and praise, that's where deep joy is found. So let's be a people that praise like Paul. Right? Let's be a people that praise like Paul, prioritizing our growth in Jesus for the glory of God and the good of others. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no dot com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.